Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways to address them when you're short of time. And I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is avoiding team burnout. Burnout is a stress-related state of emotional, physical, or mental exhaustion. It occurs when the demands of a job are greater than the person's ability to manage them. Change projects contain environmental factors that can lead to team burnout, such as long hours, tight deadlines, and insufficient resources. So how can you avoid team burnout during change so that people can be their best within challenging circumstances? And my guest today is Andrew Friedman. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Phil. Good to see you. I'm glad to be here. Since we got introduced and we had a conversation, I read your book. You had an opportunity to read mine. It's like, I'm a fan. I am a fan and I am excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Andrew. I'm a fan of yours too. And I loved your book. Andrew has over 25 years of business transformation experience. He is the managing partner of Shift a consulting company that creates dynamic cultures built on the foundation of inspired engagement and high-performance principles and practices. He holds an executive MBA from Loyola University in Maryland and a BA English from Tulane University. Andrew is the co-author of Thrive, the leader's guide to building a high-performance culture. Andrew, this is such an emotionally charged topic for me because there's so much at stake. What's been your experience with avoiding team burnout? Like you say, Phil, it is an emotionally charged topic. I've got a lot of experience with it directly, personally, with the team and the organization that I lead and also in the client work that I do. So we really can explore a number of dimensions. The one I think that I'll start with is what I see in client environments. That's where I spend most of my time. And the challenge that people are having around burnout, just where we are today and really where we've been for the last 18 plus months as we're still working through this pandemic is folks are just tapped out, Phil. They're out of surge capacity, which is a real thing. The fact that we've got people who are maybe coming back to the office, partly in the office, fully remote, the acceleration of using technology has been great for productivity in so many ways. But at the same time, it's also been something that many leaders have been ill-equipped to know how to handle, and that has led to burnout. Specifically, I'll give you an example. So there's research that shows that on average, people over the last 18 months, they've been working four more hours a day. When people say they've been more productive, they've been getting more stuff done in some cases, but are they really more productive? Now, it starts with how we're defining that. And the reason that people are working four more hours a day is, well, they're not commuting. They're getting up, and one of the first things they're doing is they're checking this little divisive device. You know, they're checking their gizmos. A lot of people sleep with their phones or whatever on them or next to their bed. And before they even have a chance to get their head right or meditate or journal or think about gratitude, they're just diving into work. And so they're diving into work, and then they're dealing with challenges, maybe some folks with kids and homeschooling or now needing to get kids back to daycare or school or what have you. They're walking in the hallway. They're not taking lunch breaks. They're eating at their laptop in their home office. And so the workday has been extended well into the evening now also. And then personally, the example I'll give is when I was traveling a lot, Phil, I would be on the road to client sites or I'd be in the office or I'd be out on a client site locally. And I would have some decompression time before I came home. And re, you know, re-entering into the home life is important. I, like everybody, we need to get our head right before we come home. So if I'm working all day 
and I'm jammed up and, you know, my brain is just super, super busy and I'm still in planning and strategy and change management mode. And then I immediately engage Joanne, my wife, she's ready to talk and I am not, I need a little bit of time to decompress. And so how does all this fit together into burnout is people are working longer. They're up early. They're online early. They have no ability to decompress because there's no commute time before they re-enter their home life. So it's like, go, 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 go. And then immediately engage with your family, go, 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 go. And then get back online at work and go, 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 go. It's We're not giving ourselves a a chance to just recalibrate, decompress, think, have space. And so when we're not at our best, we start to get a little crispy, which is part of the start of burnout. No, so great description of, I think, what most of our listeners are going through right now and what I'm going through too. And, And what has been your experience of the impact of this new reality that we have now that we've been 18, 19 months, what is the impact individually And then also on the organization too. I'll share some highs and lows. On the good side, some of what we're seeing and what we ask and the research that we've done is that people are really appreciating, this may sound like counter to what I just said, but it isn't, more time with their family unit. The number of people that were spending hundreds of days on the road that now are not, and so they're seeing their kids off to school or they're helping their kids with homework or they are actually having family dinner or as kids now have started back in sporting events, they're attending sports games or they're coaching. And so there are some upsides for sure. It has also created some space and reality for people to connect or reconnect with folks that they hadn't in a long time. So those are all on the upside. The challenge side here is for leaders, this has really created a leadership imperative moment, Phil, for people to really think differently And for those listening, I know you and I are down with this because we think alike in this way, Phil. For those of you listening, you have to, have to take the opportunity to rethink your leadership approach and strategy. I've seen a lot of leaders try to shoehorn old processes and old ways of thinking into new realities, and it just doesn't work. And what I mean by that is when I saw you in the office, old school, ineffective management, but when I saw you in the office, generally speaking for leaders, I might equate that to value. I see Phil in early, he must be working hard and delivering value. That's not actually the case. Number of hours in seat or when somebody's online has nothing to do with the business value they create. So what we've seen over the last 18, 19 months is leaders actually ask for more checking calls, more one-on-ones, more reports done. And all of those things can be fine if they're done with purpose, intention, and they align to what's most important in the organization. What I'm seeing is they're not and they don't. More one-on-ones when they're not done effectively is a drain on time, a drain on morale, a drain on productivity. And that's part of what we're seeing. And that's part of what also leads to team burnout because employees are going, my boss just doesn't get it. He or she is just asking more and more and more of me, more reports, more demand, more one-on-ones. And by the way, I don't see value in any of those things. And so it just feels like I'm on this nonstop hamster wheel, again, which leads to this burnout that we're talking about. So true. And it is a capability gap now with the requirements of leadership. One root cause might be the insecurity of, well, I don't know how to manage remotely. So I'm, I'm just going to double down and ask for more data. There's also a consideration of trust, like that, that extra report or software being put on people's home computers. What's the impact of a lack of trust between the leader and the individual that reports to them? 
I have definitely seen it. I've seen it both ways. So I've seen it on the downside, which is lack of trust showing up in what you just described. And the results, people are voting with their feet and they're leaving. I mean, we're sitting here, it's October, 2021. And just since April, over 15 million people have left their job and they've chosen to either go into business for themselves or freelance, or they're just going to work for somebody else. 15 million people have left their jobs. Hey, bosses listening to this episode, wake up. You got to hear this. 65% of the American workforce is actively seeking employment right now, new employment. So if you think as a leader, this isn't my organization or I do it great or this won't affect me, you're kidding yourself. So that's on the downside. That's what we're seeing is people just are not tolerating that kind of leadership anymore. They have a different scorecard and people are waking up going, I didn't realize how goofy some of these leadership practices were. I don't want to tolerate this. This is not how I want to live. And so I'm taking my future into my own hands. That's on the downside. On the upside, we've really seen some leaders do remarkable things, which is create new spheres of autonomy, new ways of empowering employees, new levels of trust, like really realizing, wow, I don't see my people. And you know what? They're getting more done. Those reports that we used to have that I don't ask for anymore, didn't actually need them. All those meetings that we thought we had to have, didn't need to have them. The fact that I had my people in the office at eight o'clock every day when they were clamoring to get out on the road or work remotely. And I said, no, in order to build culture, we have to be in the office. A lot of leaders are rethinking this right now going, wow, I really had it wrong. And so there are some leadership moments where people are having epiphanies and I love to see that because this is a time for us to rethink everything. I love your balanced perspective because with every new opportunity for leaders, there's ones that struggle, but there's ones that are painting the way forward too. One of the reflections I see people taking on now is what type of work environment do I want to be in in the future? And part of that, if it is a burnout culture, they're saying, I'm not going to let you burn me out. So it, it is almost like a pushback to that environment of greater expectations, working around the clock, lack of prioritization. For the individual that, say, is, is not planning to leave, but sees him or herself in a culture in which it is very conducive to being burnt out, how can she or he defend themselves from that type of culture? Yeah, absolutely. Here are some of my tried and true most favorites. Number one, let's take care of ourselves emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally. And here are some ways that you can do that. I mentioned earlier in this episode what people aren't doing. So here's what you can do. At the start of every day, start with a little bit of journaling, three to five minutes. What do you most appreciate? What are you grateful for? Right? Get some time before you start getting online, reading the news, checking your email. Just create some space for you to get your head right. Journaling, meditation, go for a long walk, get outside, get in nature, get some fresh air, exercise, do something that makes you feel good so that you're more mentally equipped. That's one thing. Second thing, limit screen time. For me personally, one of the boundaries I put in, this is pre-pandemic, but eight o'clock at night, latest, I shut off all technology, all technology. There's a lot of research that talks about when you're in front of the blue screen and you can wear blue light blockers, but when you're in front of the screen, your phone screen, your laptop screen, whatever screen it is, it has bad effects on your brain and it doesn't prepare you for quality sleep. So shut off technology. For me, it's by eight o'clock for, you know, you all listening to this, I'd say at least 90 minutes before you go to bed. That's a good research rule of thumb. 90 minutes before you go to bed, 
shut off technology. Third is when it comes to connection, make sure that you're really taking some time to think about who and what you're giving your energy to, because we all have finite amount of energy and there are people and things in your life that just sap it. So really be selfish. I mean this in a good way. Be selfish about who you're giving your energy to. If you think about your life and your personal energy, like an iPhone or an Android phone battery, if you don't charge that battery, it runs out of juice. Well, you're the same way. So think about how you're filling yourself up. What are you doing to recharge yourself? And sometimes you really need to be thoughtful about paring down your network. Not every call that comes in, do you have to take? Not every email, do you need to respond to? Not everybody who asks for your time or your mind share, do you need to give it? Be really thoughtful. So those are on the personal side. On the work side, this one, sometimes people push back on me on this one, but I'm going to town on it. I'm going to double and triple down on it. Just because somebody sends you an email does not mean you have to respond to it right away. There is an opportunity for individuals to redefine norms around communication. When I start a new client engagement or we start a new work group or a new team that's taking on a change project, part of what we do is we define communication basics and protocols, how we are going to operate. For example, I say to people, if you need me most urgently, Call me on my cell phone or send me a text message. Within a span of hours, you'll get a response from me. If you need something within 24 hours, then we use Slack here at Shift. Others use other instant messaging or collaboration tools. Use Slack. And if you need something where you either you just want me to see it or you want a response in a few days, send me an email. But if you send me an email and you expect that you're going to get a response right away, not going to happen. So individuals can do this. You do not, listeners. You do not have to respond to messages right away. You can change the way that you're conditioning people. And I do mean this. You got to take this one seriously. You are conditioning people around you by the way that you behave. So if you're going to be responsive within minutes of getting a note, you're conditioning people that that's what you're going to do. And when you stop doing it, they worry like, what's wrong? Why are you not responding to me? Why are you being inattentive? Oh, you're not paying attention to me. And so you're setting all of this up yourself. Take better control of this part of your life you will be amazed in a pleasant way how people respond productively to those changes. So many good tips. I find that when I challenge myself with is shutting off 90 minutes before I go to bed and I've seen the research, it's so compelling and it's so consistent. And I still find myself falling into the one more email trap. If some of our listeners are the same, there's the knowing and doing gap. Any advice for people who absolutely get it and they have a struggle to make that first step Yes. I'll give you two. Tip number one, start with why. Start with why something is important. It's not just the behavior. It's not just the act of shutting the phone off or turning off technology 90 minutes before going to bed. Logically, we all get that. It's the same thing with exercise. Logically, we all know we should be exercising, but yet in the US at least, we're more deconditioned than we've ever been. It's the same thing here. Start with why. Why is it important for you to adopt this new behavior? To turn technology off 90 minutes before. And if people can get really rooted to why that's important, like might go something like this, because I want better quality sleep. Well, why is that important? So that I can be more fresh, be more energized, be more clear-headed. I can be more present for my family. I can be more productive at work. I can actually work fewer hours because I can make better decisions and be more productive in a smaller amount of space. Why would that be important? Right? Just keep asking the why questions to get to the root of why that behavioral change is important. Second suggestion is this, have an accountability buddy. Share your goal with somebody else. We oftentimes don't have a hard time breaking a commitment to ourselves, but we have a hard time breaking commitments to others. So share these goals with people that you care about and who won't let you get away with your BS. Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, it's just, just one more email. It's like, nope, 
you said 90 minutes before going to bed, you were shutting your tech off. So that could be your spouse. It could be a, one of your children. It could be a colleague that you talk with on a regular basis, maybe once a week or at least once a month to say, here are the commitments that I made so that I could be better for myself, my family, and for my team at work. Here are the commitments I made. Here's how I'm doing against them with no judgment, no shame. This is all about learning and making progress and trying to get better. There's so much in your book about high performance and alignment and and moving forward. You make such a good point about role clarity, people really understanding their roles and then aligning that with the goals and the strategies of the organization. Within context of team burnout, what is the accountability of the leader in regard to avoiding team burnout? What the accountability is not, I'll start there and then I'll talk about what it is. The accountability of the leader is not to own how people are showing up. And what I mean by that is each individual needs to take responsibility for him or herself. It's my life. I need to take responsibility for myself. It's not my boss's responsibility to make sure that I don't burn out. That being said, there are things that leaders unintentionally do that heighten the likelihood of burnout. And there are things they can do that lessen the likelihood of burnout. So let's talk about some of those things they can do to lessen the likelihood. One is if you're leading a team, is to start just by defining success with that team. For me, and you said this, Phil, clarity and alignment. It all starts with what I call, and Paul, my co-author in the book, Thrive, right to left thinking. And let's start by defining success. So in the context of this team or this change project or initiative that we're working on, like what does working as a successful team look like? What does it feel like? How do we communicate? How are we operating? What are the boundaries and the guardrails that we want to set for ourselves? Knowing full well, there might be times, you said this earlier, where there's a tight deadline or the project goes a little off track because something unexpected happens. Like that stuff happens. It's unavoidable. But if we've got to find parameters around what success looks like and how we're going to operate as a team, then at least we're making conscious choices. We're operating within choice, which is I need to put in or we need to put in a little more time here. Great. And we do that open-hearted. We do it with high discretionary effort. We don't feel like it's being done to us, but actually with us. And we're part of the decision-making process. So to me, that's the biggest thing that leaders can do is really make sure that those guiding principles, the guardrails, the vision is set up, and then making sure that throughout the course of the project or the team's existence, that we're talking about that often, which is we said, this is what we stood for, and this is how we want to operate. How are we doing? How are we bringing those things to life? And where are we getting off track as a team or as individuals? And that that should be a safe and open conversation, not punitive, not judgmental. Nobody should feel defensive or putting themselves at risk or too vulnerable in an unhealthy way. We should all be good to say, hey, look, I'm struggling with this. I know we said we were going to operate like this, but I find myself really challenged with this one thing. And then you rely on the team to help you through that. That's really productive. And it's so true about conversation being the foundation of positive change or reflections on productivity. How about the individual who is going downhill, regardless of the team connects to say, how are we doing? This individual has chosen to keep it to him or herself, but you're seeing some of the signs. Maybe they're getting in later. Maybe their moods are changing. Maybe they're getting angry. Maybe they're being despondent, whatever it is, but you notice the signs that the person is not the person that started out on the project. How do you address that as a leader in a productive way? There's almost a prerequisite that I prefer to have in place. So if at all possible, this is important for leaders, which is that you have the kind of rapport, relationship, and connection with your people where they know you can talk about anything, open, honest, 
not stressed, not defensive, not judgmental, always in support of learning, growth. And sometimes people just, frankly, they need an ear. I have leaders that sometimes ask me, Phil, so wait, are you saying part of my role is being a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Yeah, absolutely. Because we're dealing with humans and humans are messy and we've all gone through our bunch of stuff, a lot of it very traumatic. So just know that if I saw that you were a little off, meaning not normal Phil, I would start just with a conversation about how are you? Those three words are really important. How are you? It has a different semantic weight, which connotes I'm really getting into something more than just I'm fine. Everything's good. In this case, it's Phil, how are you? And then getting into a conversation, if Phil's not really sure where I'm going, then I'm going to share with Phil what I'm observing, which is the reason I ask Phil is I'm observing lately, you seem a little, or the behavior that I'm observing is, and then give some specific examples. Feedback is one of the most important things in elevating team and individual performance and alleviating or reducing or avoiding burnout. But most leaders, I will say this, they're just not effective or as effective as they could be at giving feedback. Right now, when people get feedback or know that they're getting feedback, they brace for it, like brace for impact. This is going to be bad news. All feedback should be constructive. It should reinforce what we want to see or reinforce what we don't want to see. It should be essential to the performance in the role that they're playing, and it should be developmental. So if I'm coming to you with some feedback, I want to share it with you also in real or near to real time. So I might say, Phil, the reason I asked that question is I've seen you recently be a little later on and miss a couple deadlines, which is not like you. Or your responses in meetings, like the meeting we just had yesterday, is a little more curt than you normally are. And so you seem to be maybe a little on edge or a little stressed or... And so I'm wondering what's going on for you because I care about you. I want you to be at your best and... I'm here to listen to whatever you might be experiencing. And that kind of approach oftentimes takes people's defenses down. It alleviates stress and it opens them up to a really caring, open, vulnerable conversation. It also helps if people see their leaders exhibit the same kind of vulnerability. Leaders go first, which might be sharing a story of personal stress that the leader experienced and how they worked through it. I mean, I've shared with my team and even clients that over the course of the pandemic, the last 19 months, Joanne lost her mom and her mom was living in the Philippines. So halfway around the world, and we still haven't been able to get there. We haven't been able to pay our proper respects other than Facebook Live, which is completely insufficient. My father passed away in November of last year. So we've each lost a parent. And then we totaled up over the last Last 18 months, I think we've lost seven family members or close friends. It's been a lot. That's a lot to deal with. That's a lot of trauma. And I'm a positive person, but everything's not always amazing for me. I'm human. I have my down moments. I have my insecurities. I have my fears, my doubts, all those things. And people understanding that I experienced that opens up the possibility for them to share their versions of whatever is going on for them that might be either contributing to burnout or could potentially lead to burnout or is degrading some of the engagement or performance that they have. This is really important for leaders to get. You've got to go first and you've got to create this safe space. Andrew, thank you for leading the way. Thank you for sharing. And I'm sorry about the loss that you and your wife have experienced. And the importance of sharing and the importance of being our full selves is absolutely essential. But I wonder when leaders can't do that. It's the knowing and doing gap where they just feel so vulnerable about saying that they're not perfect because our society has been built on us pretending to be perfect. How do you break that for people that don't have that security to be real with their teams? 
I don't have a perfect recipe to break it. I wish that I did. This comes with consistency. It's like water that runs over or through rocks for hundreds or thousands of years. It's created these beautiful canyons and riverways. It happens over time. And so it really does take a senior leader, ideally in the C-suite, who gets it, who models it, who sets the tone, who bakes this into the culture. Now, if that doesn't exist, it doesn't mean other leaders can't have this operate within their business units or their teams or their project teams. Certainly can, but this takes work. And for me, I will tell you, part of my recipe is a lot of therapy, right. a lot of therapy. I've been doing it for years and I used to game it. I used to game my therapists because I was like, oh, I'm going to therapy. I'm a healthier person. And it was complete BS. But finally, I realized that I needed to put the work in. I needed to, if I really wanted to be the person that I describe in Thrive and the person that I know that I am, that I say in the first part of the book, then I need to get to the real crux of what's getting in my way. Who do I really want to be? What do I need to give up? What racket do I need to let go of? All that stuff. And this comes with consistent work. So get some outside help leaders. If you find yourself aware, but unsure of how to move from where you are to a better place, get some outside help. You can do that through actual therapy, acupuncture, massage, Reiki, meditation, gratitude, journaling. All of these things help us just get to a different place in our heads. Focus leaders on the reality you want to create for yourself, for your family, for your team, for your organization, and then show up every day more in alignment with that. This is completely within your control. Things that are going well for you in your life, take credit for the things you're doing that are causing those things to be. The things that aren't going as well as you want for you or your team, take a look in the mirror and think about what is your role in this and how are you showing up that's getting you truly what you're getting. And if you don't like what you're getting, change the way that you're thinking and change what you're doing and get some help. That's all. Just get some help. You're not in this alone. And that's a powerful message for me and for the rest of the listeners. I've got a special case for you, which is an extension of your advice to leaders. As I was reading Thrive, when I read this passage, I was underscoring it. And it's about the go-to people that we tend to go to and they always get things done. And this is linking up to one of your themes of when you really want to understand high performance, you go to the high performers and see how they think, how they act, what they do. And that's what you try and capture so that you can replicate it, which is great. I thought that was tremendous. But then how about these individuals when they've been gone to so many times that at 150% capacity? I'll just read you a quick quote. Organizations reach out to a few go-to people to resolve issues. The reliance on these proficient few creates a risk that they experience burnout, low morale, and disengagement. I see it in so many organizations, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it too. When I was a leader in an organization, you just know they're going to get it done, but yeah. so rarely do you equate the amount of resources they have and the work that you give them. How do you help a leader stop a pattern that has worked in the past, but the downside is it could be taking tasks with that high performer and their personal lives? First thing you want to do is just acknowledge that there are valid reasons why this happens. And they include things like trust, past performance, which would maybe be an indicator of future success from a time standpoint. It takes less time because you know if you give something to this person, they're going to get it done. They're going to get it done well. There's lower risk. So there's good reasons why these things can happen. The thing that I go back to leaders on is back to the definition of success. I know I'm on like repeat on this, but it's intentional. If I'm a leader, what's my role? My role includes a couple of things. One is create a barrier-free work environment. Identify and remove the barriers that are getting in the way from more of my people 
performing at their best every day. Connected to that is an overarching goal, which is my role as a leader is to produce a high-performing team. And the sign of a good leader is this. If you've got a leader who leads numerous people, sign of a good leader is when you've got clusters of high-performing individuals. Sign of a weak leader is when you've got a lot of scattershot, like one or two high performers, and then you got a bunch of people who are all over the place. That's a weak leader. That's a weak leader who's usually relying on a couple people to make budget, make goal, whatever it may be. So first thing is define success and realize your role as a leader is to build a high performing team. Second then is to understand what are the dimensions by which you are measuring high performance so that there's objective standards of excellence that everybody who's in the role understands. Then it's all about understanding where each person is against those standards of excellence and being committed and consistent to moving more people closer to those standards. And when this happens for leaders, they automatically reduce reliance on just those few really proficient people because they've got more folks to choose from, if that makes sense. It certainly does. And uh, just one question about the team that has been in a burnout state and perhaps you even come in as an external supporter. How do you get people back on track and out of that burned out state? How would you approach that? There's two things that I really like and that I find work very well. One is at a team dimension standpoint. One is at an individual standpoint. At the team dimension standpoint, it can be as straightforward as sitting down with the project team or whatever the team is, work group or you know, an actual functional team, and have a conversation about, I know you're going to laugh at me, Phil, definition of success. What does success look like for this team, with this team, starting fresh? If we started as a team today and you said, here's what this high-performing team looks like, let's define it. Again, how we do our work, how we communicate, where we do our work, how we engage with people outside the project team, whatever the dimensions are. Then we can talk about where are we in relation to those standards. We understand then what the gap may be, how big the gap is to that better state. And we can talk about a series of things that that team specifically can take ownership of to move closer to that desired state. And in fact, if there are things that are happening outside of that team that are impacting their ability to perform, we should raise those objectively and then figure out how do we influence with or without authority to alleviate, reduce, maybe eliminate some of those barriers. That's at the team level. At the individual level, it's very much the same, which is how are you doing? Let's talk about the definition of success for you. How do you want to show up on this team? How do you want to show up for yourself? Talk to me about your goals personally and professionally. And then let's also understand where that individual is against those goals, what the gap is, what the interventions are, the actions are that that person will take to close the gap and any help that they might need. Thank you for providing the two dimensions, the individual and the team. And there's so much here that you have shared in the spirit of change on the run and the fact that we're all busy and we all have so much change to manage. If there is only one thing that you could do to avoid team burnout that would give you the 80% results in 20% of the time and you don't have time to do everything that you've recommended today, what would that be? Start by defining success. Absolutely start by defining success. Everything else will flow there. It becomes so crystal clear what to focus on and what to let go of when we are very certain and aligned on what good looks like. That's the money one. Thank you. And it's been a consistent theme of our awesome conversation. If you don't define it with a team, then either it doesn't exist or you have 18 different versions of it, which is mayhem. And so we close off today. 
Is there a tip or a watch out or a thought or perhaps even a theme that you'd leave our listeners with about avoiding team burnout that you think is really important to leave with them? Yeah, it goes like this. Remember, we're all in this together. So if we just embrace humanity, if we double down on humanity and make sure to prioritize that, care for ourselves, care for our colleagues, not absent of performance, but care for ourselves and care for our colleagues will actually accelerate performance. If you see that somebody's a little off, if you see that they're not themselves, most of the time, those things aren't going to remedy themselves. Show people that you care, inquire, be open-hearted, be open-minded, invest a little bit in these people that you care so deeply about. It will come back to you in spades. What a beautiful way to end off our conversation and something to remember, especially when we're stressed out and some of us can actually move away from that humanity that you mentioned. Thanks so much for being on the show. How can people get Thrive? Because it is an awesome book and I read it cover to cover. There's so many tips beyond the ones that you've shared today. And how can people get in contact with you personally? Thrive is is easy. There's this new thing called Amazon. Uh, You go to Amazon, you can find the leader's guide to building a high performance culture. It's there. We also did set up a website. It's thrive.shifttheWork.com. And I point people to that too, because we give over 20 different accelerators. They're downloadable tools and templates that folks can use. So listeners, if you want to bookmark that site too, just have at it. Download these tools and templates so that you can use them. I love the like-mindedness that we have, Bill, because everything about Change on the Run book that you wrote, it's so actionable. It's so practical. You take people through working the process every single step of the way. Thrive is similar. One of the reasons why I think I dig you so much. For me personally, people can find me on any of the social channels. My handle's the same. It's A Friedman Thrive. So LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, feel free to connect with me. I will gladly accept connections from any of your listeners because if they dig you, then I dig them. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I do dig you. And and I'll just double down on the downloadable tools that you provide. You tell a lot of great stories. You give a lot of tips. But then at the appropriate time, moving from intent to action and found the tools in a really positive way, simple and actionable. And thanks again for being on the podcast. This has been a blast. Thanks for number one and hopefully a long series. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. I know we'll do it again. And thanks everyone for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast. If you'd like to get great episodes like this one every two weeks in your inbox. And until the next time, I wish you all the best as you continue to lead change. 